You can be happy today. In fact, when you accept Christ, all of heaven what? Rejoices. They're happy that you know God now, that you know Jesus Christ. But I can tell you, you've got a day coming when you'll enter in through the gates of the city. And you're going to experience a happiness there that you've never experienced. You can taste it now. And imagine a day when you'll see the Father's face for the first time. Or Jesus when he returns with all those billions of angels. How you get a feel? You could be pretty happy. And you'll be happy for an eternity. Visiting other worlds that have never fallen. To be able to share your testimony of what God has meant to you um, is going to bring you so much happiness. But the things that exist in heaven that will make us happy need to begin to make us happy here. Pure thoughts. Noble thoughts, right? In reality, this is what brings us our happiness. So, before we begin, let us pray. Father, forgive us where we have not received the happiness we could have in a day. We have many sad days because we didn't have the right focus. Maybe not even the right thoughts or feelings, and it stole away our happiness, our joy, our peace. That, Father, we should be the happiest people on the planet, knowing that we've been called to prepare a people for the second coming, where true happiness, that is eternal, will be just a beginning. And so, Father, we just want to thank you and ask that through the sanctuary you'll teach us how in our mind we can be happier, holier people. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. not working. There we go. Okay. So when we look at this sanctuary, we had been talking about this is what Jesus did for us. He died for us. He took upon our sins upon himself. And this represents what his work is in the heavenly sanctuary above. This is not representing his work on earth. When he was on earth, he was a teacher preparing to be a lamb. In heaven, he's our high priest. Now, when we come to this courtyard, whoops, I'm sorry, we're coming just as we are. And I want to look at this next slide here. How are we coming to him? There's a couple problems with us. One of them is our body. Our bodies are fallen. But we'll get a glorious new body. But part of the problem with this body, it pulls me in a direction that separates me from God. Now part of this body is my brain, which is different than my mind. The brain is an organ, part of my body. My mind and my brain aren't exactly the same thing. But my brain had problems when I was born too based on heredity alone. There was some pre-programming that tended me towards doing wrong. And so when we come to Jesus just as we are, there's a problem with our body that Paul talks about, what I want to do, I'm not doing what I shouldn't be doing, I wind up doing it because there's a problem with me. 
There's a problem with my body, and there's a problem with my thoughts. Now, I'm not going to get a new body until when? Second coming of Jesus Christ. Does that mean it doesn't matter what I do to my body? No, I still should give glory to God in, in all things. But my focus needs to be on my, on my mind and my thinking. Because that's what leads to each action, doesn't it, Vera? And I'm going to submit to you that this holy place and most holy place, that I'll go back to here, Oops. this part represents my thinking. My mind. And in a nutshell, we'll go over each detail. That if in my mind I think about being a light, being filled with oil, is it preparing me to be ready for heaven? Will it make me more happy? If I'm filled with the oil of the Holy Spirit and I'm willing to shine for Jesus in doing good things and care about people, that they make it to heaven. Am I a happier person? This is all about mental health here, isn't it? And this is the real battleground between Christ and Satan is right here. What are you thinking? And then, of course, eating the bread of life, Jesus Christ affects my thinking. Because the more I know of him, the more I know of what I can become. Will I be happier knowing Jesus better? Absolutely. And altar of incense, prayer, communion with Christ. The more I pray and the more I know about Jesus and the more I share Jesus, which is what the whole holy place is about, I'm going to be a happier person. But what if the devil gets me so busy that I don't pray much, I don't study much? It's going to steal away my happiness. And you know, trials, tests and trials, are not meant to make us sad. Tests and trials are to be received by us to make us more forgiving and holier and better people. Not bitter, better. And the devil's going to try to keep you so busy not to think much about Jesus... Not much in prayer, not much in study, not much in witnessing, because he knows when you go through every one of these trials, you're going to be what? You're going to be sad. If you don't spend this time with Jesus, you will be upset about things, you will be sad about things, and it will be poor me, poor me, poor me. And you will not be a happy Christian, which is probably one of the worst witnesses for Christianity. I want you to look at this thought here. Our happiness is not based on what's around us. It has nothing to do with what's around us. It has to do with what's inside you. Or what's in here. If in my thinking I think too much about negative things, am I a happy person? Do you know that they say that 60% of our thoughts are negative? That's on average. If not higher. Now that might include things, boy, I wonder if my car's going to start today. That's not, we would consider a terribly negative thought. But it's not a positive thought either. 
to begin the day, you know, whether my truck starts or not, you know, this is a day the Lord has given. And I'm going to rejoice in it. That's a different way of thinking. That no matter the test or the trial, what matters is what's inside me, not what's happening out here. Because the devil's going to make sure that there's all kinds of things preoccupying you, things that can upset you. Does he know what upsets you already? Absolutely. He's been taking some notes pretty meticulously since you were born. He knows what pushes your buttons. He knows what makes you sad. But you can overcome this to an experience in the holy place with Jesus. Okay? Because this is real. And I want to put up something here before we get into the, the, the details of the holy place. Everything we're going to talk about in the holy place and the most holy place takes what? It takes time. The problem with Laodicea is not that it doesn't pray. It just doesn't pray very much. It's not that Laodicea doesn't read the Bible. It doesn't what? doesn't read very much. Believing in prayer, is believing that prayer is important is not the same as praying. Does everybody here believe prayer is important? Amen. Studying your Bible is important? Amen. That's not enough, though. Amen. What matters is how much you are praying and how much you are studying and how much you're willing to be Willing to be used in God's service every day. That's what matters. You see, in, in Hebrew thought, it's about, it's not again, it's not about what's happening out there. It's about what's within here, and it's not about who I've been, but who I can become. Do I need to grow more before Jesus comes? Do I need to pray more, study more, witness more? I need to become more like Jesus. That's what's important. I don't know the day or hour Christ is coming, but I know it's soon. And you don't want to waste a day. You want to have a holy place experience every day. You're going to want to have a most holy place experience every day. But everything takes time. If I spend 30 seconds in prayer as opposed to 30 minutes in prayer... Will it affect my happiness? You see, if we don't go very deep, there will be things that will happen in our life and we won't be very happy. But if I spend more time with communion with Christ, it shouldn't matter what I face because He's with me. And I've been with Him. There's a difference, isn't there? So as we look at this holy place, and we've gone over it a little bit already, we see these three pieces of furniture, and we'll hit all three of them here. But every one of this represents things that we need to not just believe in, things we need to do. Not things that we do scarcely, but things we do much. This is what gives us peace. This is what gives us hope and happiness that prepares us for heaven. So as we think about the seven-branch candlestick, 
It is made out of one talent of gold. Does everybody here have a talent? Yes. Everybody has a passion. And too often we narrow talents down to whether you speak or do this or do that. But the 1 Corinthians 12 talks about a whole lot of talents. And that's just the beginning of talents in the body of Christ. There's many, many talents. And if your talent is cleaning the church or your talent is doing something else, are you happier when you do this as a service? Whatever that talent is, do it. Or pray, Father, show me who I can make a difference today in. Use me today. Bring somebody into my life. And you pray this not just to make a difference, but it will make a difference in you. You will be happier when you help more people. And it's not a numbers game. It's a sincerity game. It's about how much. It's not the amount you do, but the sincerity in which you do it. That you're truly doing it to be a blessing to another person. Whatever that entails, to help a person become more beautiful in Christ, you will begin to be happier and happier the more you do this. What the devil wants us to do in our paranoid culture of don't knock on my door. People are afraid to knock on a door. People become afraid of talking about religion or politics because there's such division. Well, don't begin there. Just get to know people. Find a place of an agreement and go from there. Just be friendly. Take an interest in people. And God will lead that conversation. Don't believe you have to tell somebody what the mark of the beast is the first time you meet them. Introduce Christ to them. Let them know what Christ has done for you. Take an interest. Maybe their interest is health. Maybe it's education. But there's literature. There's books. There's things you can say that will draw you closer to this person. And then you'll earn the opportunity to share more. But in this candelabra, there's something about six pillars being attached to a central pillar, which is, that central pillar is who? There's something about being connected to Christ and not feeling like you have to go out and witness by yourself. Jesus didn't go to heaven and say, okay, church, you guys do it. He says, be connected to me. Heavenly agencies have already gone out ahead of you. I'm I'm already preparing the people's hearts before you meet them. Work with me. Don't brazen it by yourself thinking you're going to conquer the world. Work with Jesus. This is why we pray, too. All these things are connected together. But there's something very interesting about this candelabra. It's got six stems, or whatever we want to call them, connected to the central. So you can be happy doing something for Jesus, just between you and Jesus, but what if you do something for Jesus with others? Does that make a difference? Is that going to add joy? You know, right now, we can be very thankful as a congregation. We've already got out half a pallet of great controversies. Now we're going to work on our second one. You feel good about that? You want to do more? And the more we do, the more we're going to want to do. But we always need to be doing something. 
Okay? Every ministry, everything that's started is important. It meets a need. But when you do it together, there's something really special about that, isn't it? Okay? And then the other thing about the candelabra is we receive light and power from the Holy Spirit that we may impart that light and love. The purpose of a light isn't for itself. That part of being connected to Christ is that you want to shine for, for Jesus and for, for others. You want to make a difference. You know, we're not here in this world to make a buck, but to make a difference. And again, what's going to make you happy isn't what's around you like boats and cars. It's what's in here. You know, if Jesus were to come here two years from now, and I'm not setting any dates, when you look back on these next two years, what do you want to see? How big your house is? What do you want to see? How much of a difference you made in different people's lives. Isn't that more important? That you could look back on these next two years and say, I handed literature to this person, and I helped this person, and I helped this person. Because when it gets right down to it, the reality is that will make you happier than ending your life with the most toys. Because what you're going to be able to take with you is not your toys. But there will be these crowns, these stars in your crown. Is this right? That's what heaven places as most important. It's the stars you get in your crown and that you're there. So let's move on to the table of showbread here. And this is, of course, being a light makes you happy. Being in darkness doesn't make you happy. Hiding your light under a bushel doesn't make you happy. Do you feel bad when you had an opportunity to witness and you failed? How'd you feel? You felt disappointed. And that's true. That's a true feeling. That when you know you've taken opportunity, every opportunity, you walk through every door of opportunity, you're going to feel good about that day. And God is going to give you opportunities. If you pray today, Lord, bring someone in my life this week, is he going to do that? If you're willing to serve? And then next Sabbath, you get to share how God used you to be a candelabra. Ultimately, that's what the service between Sabbath school and church is really about, isn't it? It's when every one of us can come in here and say, God, use me as a light this week. And I'm happier and I love Jesus more. Isn't that ultimately what Sabbath this Sabbath is about? It gets brighter and brighter. And so now we look at the table of showbread. And everything about here, this table of showbread, really is important to us. Uh, all the loaves of equal weight and size. Are you happier when you see people equally? Do you know that a lot of anger, a lot of all the bad stuff in our world is because some people see some people as more important than other people? Leads to wars. Leads to divided families, races. (laughs) Think of all the sorrow that brings to our world. But what if you could eat the bread of life, Jesus Christ, and see everybody as being equally important? You going to be a happier person? Absolutely. Jesus was that kind of person. He died for 
He died for all. This really becomes important because our world's literally falling apart. There's so many divisions, and the devil's trying to create all this anger in people's hearts and then target it towards Adventists in the end of time, as if we were the reason for all the problems. The devil can't just create a Sunday law. He's got to have anger in people's hearts first and then pass a Sunday law so people want to put teeth in it. These people are serious. And a lot of these people are going to push for the Sunday law aren't eating any bread. They're not eating Jesus Christ. They're eating their geopolitics. They're eating about how to get, win the next election. That's what they're filling themselves up with. And it's full of hate, people. It's full of it. And what we need is more of Jesus. We've got to counteract the hate in the world by being more like Jesus, who broke down every social barrier. I mean, back in his day, there's people who didn't talk to each other because they were a Samaritan or they were a Jew or they were a Roman. Wouldn't even go into their house. It's a little bit like that today. There's a lot of isms. And the only solution is, is Christ. There is no other solution. It is being filled with the Holy Spirit, willing to shine, and it's about eating Jesus' life every day. And you'll be a happier person when you can treat everybody equally. And then, of course, in this bread is the finest of wheat. That means that Jesus' life was absolutely perfect. And the closer you become like Jesus, are you going to be happier? Absolutely. If you live a whole of your life, are you going to be happier? What about sinning? That bring a lot of joy? May bring entertainment? It's the wrong kind of joy. You're right. But some people are are deceived into it. And they may think, based on the world's view, this is what happiness is. It's about money, it's about entertainment, it's about this, it's about that. But they don't know. Because if you don't know Jesus, you really don't know what? You don't even know what life's about. You may be living, you may have a job, you may have money. But that's not life. You're breathing. That life is love, joy, peace, happiness, right? The whole fruit of the Spirit is what life really is about. And when people don't have Jesus, they really don't know what life is. Jesus is the life. And when we have Jesus, then we start figuring out, this is why he made us. This is what brings happiness is when we have more of him. It's not fun. It's red. Oh, you want me up here? Oh. Now I can't walk. So <laughs> I'm not a big walking preacher like some, you know, they look like they're in a racetrack or something, but anyway, I can behave myself back here. Oil was added. Oil represents the Holy Spirit. So when when the disciples were hiding for fear of the Jews, Jesus breathed on them the 
Holy Spirit. And Ellen White says that was a foretaste of just a small measure of about what they would receive at Pentecost. And yet Pentecost is not the fullness of the Spirit, but the the latter rain and the end of time. The disciples, with just a little bit of the Spirit, went from having fear to having peace. When they received more of the Holy Spirit, imagine how they felt when they preached and 3,000 souls came in in one day. You feel a little different? Feel happier? That's what happens when you get more of the Spirit. Can each one of us have more of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. It's something we need to be praying for every day. But remember this statement in Desire of Ages 805. The, the, the impartation of the Holy Spirit is the impartation of the life of Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit, the power He wants to give you, is to be like Jesus. You know, there's a lot of people praying for power in some Pentecostal way to demonstrate miracles or signs or wonders, but that's not the power that the Bible's talking about. The power that is in the life of Christ is humility and love and compassion. All the things you read about Jesus in the New Testament, that's the power. But they wanted him to exercise a different kind of power. Destroy the Romans. Get rid of the other peoples that didn't agree with them. Make them a superpower. Make their lives easier. But that's not power, friends. Power is love. And power is humility. That's the power. This is why we pray for more of the Spirit, to be more humble. You feel like you're humble enough for the end of time? To have more humility, more love, a greater, deeper, forgiving Spirit? However much we have now, we can praise God for but we need more. And we know we need more because we're still here. If we had everything we needed, we'd already be gone. Christ would have already come. And again, it's not because we don't have enough praying presses or radio stations. We need to be eating more bread. There's got to be more people in our church who are willing to be a light and willing to eat the life of Jesus Christ. And then there's salt. Salt, is our world getting worse or better? And the reason you want to be more like Jesus is because you help hold back the tide of deterioration in society. Because that's what salt is, is to keep things from decay. Preserve things. So through the work of the Holy Spirit, He's going to use you and make you the salt of the earth. To help stem back the tide of evil. Because there's still just a little bit of time. And in that little bit of time, if you're salt, it gives us more opportunities to reach people. The problem with immoral laws, it's harder to reach people. Because the deeper the immorality of our nation, the harder it is to actually reach people. But the solution is not to impose religion. 
and force people to go to worship on a certain day, that's, that's worse than the problem. It's about God having people who are salt. And if God people are salt, the people caught up in the immorality, you're influencing them to not go further into apostasy or immorality, but you help them come out of it because there's someone there to love them and give them time, as he's given us time, to become something. Forget about what's going out around us. We're interested in what happens in here for people. And then, of course, there's no leaven. Christ in Christ's life, there's no leaven. There's nothing that's sinful in Jesus. And this is where we have to be very serious about, Father, is there any leaven in my, in my life? Is there any leaven in my thinking? Sinful. My thoughts, my behavior, my feelings. Because God wants us to get all the leaven out. And that happens by eating bread. Eating the bread of life, Jesus Christ. The more I know about him, will I see myself better as I truly am? Absolutely. When I see Christ and his perfection, it will reveal my imperfection. But if I don't know Jesus very well, I might think I'm, you know, eh, I'm a pretty good guy. Is that right, Pete? Absolutely. Very, very good political answer there. But the reality is, I could, only see my, I could only see myself as being reasonably good because I don't know Christ well enough. And then, of course, there's the place in the oven. The willingness. The willingness, whatever the cost. Whatever the cost of eating the bread, talking about Jesus, being like Jesus, you will be thrust into the oven of affliction. There are going to be people who will make fun of you. There will be people who will challenge you. But it's okay. Look what they did to Jesus. And yet he remained faithful unto the end. Perfect. No leaven in the life. Had the Holy Spirit more than anyone because he loved righteousness and he hated iniquity. He didn't hate sinners. He hated sin. And he hated what sin did to people. And then, of course, pierced bread from the word kala in, in, in the Hebrew means like a perforated uh, cake from where we get the manna because Jesus was pierced for us. Jesus was perforated for us, so to speak. And so by eating his life, Especially in the end, you and I will have an opportunity to share the Sabbath more fully, knowing that we may be giving up our life. Is that right? You're not going to be persecuted over Sunday because you're replacing your roof on Sunday. Because when the Sunday laws pass, you're not to do any secular work. You're not to do stuff to say, I'm not a Sunday keeper, watch me mow my lawn on Sunday. You use Sunday as a missionary day when the Sunday laws pass. You don't break it by doing secular work. 
you use it as a missionary day because there's very few Sundays left. Because last day events are, they're rapid ones, friends. They're rapid. Once they pass that law, things are going to go very quickly. But right now, God's holding back until we're ready for a Sunday law. Because the Sabbath means that much to us and our relationship to our Creator and Redeemer means that much to us. And until we reach that kind of relationship with Jesus, he holds back the four winds. Then, of course, there's the altar of incense, so I'm not going to finish this today. I'm sorry. But anyway, let's let's end with prayer here. Is that okay? Is there enough time for that? So in this holy place experience of which everything takes time, it takes time to pray for people and to witness to them. Is this right? It takes time to spend time with Jesus studying his altogether beautiful life. It cannot be done in a matter of seconds and minutes. We have to find time. And when you think about time being the most precious talent God has given all of us, time is a talent. Your brain's a talent. All that we share in common. But if you throw away your time on worldly things and you don't have time for Jesus, you're not ready. None of us are ready. Everything takes time. And if we were to study his life and commune with him in prayer and take time to witness, there will be things in our life we'll probably have to get rid of because we simply don't have time for it anymore. The reality is we are living in the Day of Atonement. The Hebrews, if they had televisions back then, and I might be sounding too legalistic here, but they probably weren't watching sports or worldly movies on the Day of Atonement. We're living in that day. And I'm I'm just being serious. That every time we take time, To do something Jesus wouldn't do is time away from Jesus. Does that make sense? And he's coming back very soon, friends. So when I think about this altar of prayer, I realize that when I pray, I want my prayers to ascend where? To heaven, not just to the ceiling. But to heaven itself. How do my prayers get there? By my righteousness? Whose righteousness? Christ's righteousness. Now, if my prayers are going to ascend to heaven based on his merits, then I need to know his merits. I need to have a greater appreciation of what he did for me. That I should have a greater appreciation of what Jesus done for me today than I did when I first accepted him at age 20. When I accepted Jesus at age 20, it changed my life. I was the happiest kid on the block that day. I knew God loved me. But if I don't love him more today than I did then, you see what I'm saying? I need to keep moving forward, friends. And not just moving forward with knowledge. Moving forward in an experience with Jesus Christ. That I love to spend more time with him today than I did 
what did I say, 42 years ago. Now you know how old I am. That's true, isn't it? Because he's just about ready to be here. And this is what prayer is about. It's to get to know him better. Uh, The prayer altar is the closest piece of furniture, the most holy place. If you go out witness candelabra and you're happier and closer to Jesus, praise God. If you spend time every day reading about the life of Jesus and you're happier and closer to Jesus, praise God. But the piece of furniture that's even closer to the most holy place where is the presence of God is the altar of incense. There's a lot of Seventh-day Adventists who study but don't pray. And there are people who pray but don't study. There are people who study and pray but don't witness. A three-stranded cord is not easily broken. Strong. You take away any one of those cords... And you lose strength. All three of these things are important on a daily basis. That doesn't mean you have to hand out ten great controversies every day. You wake up in the morning and you consecrate yourself for his service. And saying a kind thing or doing a kind deed that day that you know God will bring somebody in your life because you're working with him. You're connected to him. And you've prayed about it. You've prepared your heart for it. You study your Bible so you have more to share. But in prayer, you're connected to him. Jesus was found sometimes all night in prayer. Most of the great reformers would get up at four in the morning just to pray. The more they had to do in a day, the more they, the more they prayed. And people say, I don't have enough time. But prayer actually is a time saver. We don't usually think of it as a time savior, saver. We think of it as taking away time for things I've got to do. But how much do you want to do without Christ in practicing his presence? How far do we get? And what about joy? Isn't it beautiful to spend time with Christ... And see him using you that day as a result of prayer and study. Right? And then you're a light. And there's something about experiencing that on a daily basis and it just keeps growing. And you realize God's got something for me today. Not just because I know that theologically because you know it because of prayer. The four horns on the altar represent the power in prayer. And so when we know that Jesus is our prayer partner, Jesus is not just simply making a petition for us. Jesus is a conqueror, friends. He's already conquered evil. And right now, he's praying for me and he's praying for you to have victory. To be a conqueror. We need to learn to pray with him. And study his life. And shine for him. These three things will make us happy. 
and they will make us holy. But it has to be done every day. How many here are really, really, really busy? Nobody wants to raise their hand right now. <laughs> you raised your hand earlier. I mean, <laughs> Take an inventory of your life. Think about what's most important. Is there even something in my life that might hinder me from even wanting to pray? Is that possible? Everything you do in this body in this mind, is going to lend you towards wanting to pray more, study more, witness more, or it's going to get you going the other direction. But no matter how many days we've lost, God is a merciful God. He is merciful, friends. And every day is a new opportunity to get right back on the horse and move forward. So I want to encourage each one of us Time is short, friends. And again, there's a lot of things happening out there, out there, and that's okay. God's not waiting for us to be experts on the news. God wants us to be experts about this. And then it's in here. And when we're that people, and there's enough, there's enough churches like Brooklyn and other churches, sister churches. It's going to go. And it won't be based on how many schools we have or how much money the Adventist church has in the bank. Because God owns a cattle on a, a thousand hills, friends. All that matters is us receiving the, the Spirit every day in preparation for the latter rain. And we're real, real close. So next time I'm here in two weeks, we're going to go through the most holy place, which is God putting the finishing touches on our character. And when there's enough people who have this most holy place experience, it's going to go. It is going to happen. The Bible says it will. Before our closing hymn or our closing prayer, our closing hymn is 212. Hymn number 212.
Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are happy to know that Jesus is coming eminently. The last day events are fast fulfilling, and they will get faster. So, Father, help us to be that waiting church, ready for her, Lord, because we know you, and we've spent that time with you, and to know how much you love us, and for us to have a growing appreciation of all that you've done for us. So help each one of us to have that experience, Father. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.